This episode is brought to you by Element, spelled L-M-N-T. What is Element? Let me tell you. It's a delicious, sugar-free, electrolyte drink mix. As a coach, we are constantly trying to find the best products for our athletes to train and compete at their highest level. Element is a great alternative to other commercial recovery and performance drinks and has enough sodium, potassium, and magnesium to get you feeling and performing your best. Plus, it has zero sugar, no artificial ingredients, and is gluten-free. With a variety of delicious flavors, you are guaranteed to find one your taste buds will love. I know our athletes love the citrus salt, while my favorite is grapefruit. We keep a variety box in the office, and our athletes stop by every day on their way to practice or games to load up. At this point, they won't even touch another product, and I am replenishing our supply on a weekly basis. Without amazing products and sponsors like Element, our podcast would not be possible. Right now, when you click on our affiliate link and place your first order, Element is giving us a 150% commission. That means if you spend $100, we get $150 to keep this podcast running. The best deal you can get is to buy an insider bundle. You buy three boxes, you get one free. And if you click our affiliate link, drinkelement.com slash justinclimo, we will get a commission and you will get a free sample pack with every purchase. Last thing, Element might have the best return policy on the planet. If you don't love it, you will be instantly refunded. Let's talk about sleep for a minute. I've had a terrible time getting productive rest and sleep for the last few years. And since poor sleep can lead to all sorts of health problems, I'm constantly on the hunt for a better night's sleep. Recently, I came across a new product called Beam Dream, which has delivered the best sleep I've had in a long time. The first time I tried it, I fell asleep on the couch within a half hour and didn't wake up until the next day. Since starting my new routine with Beam, my sleep performance has improved significantly according to both my Aura Ring and Whoop Band. Yes, I use both at once because why not have more data? If you are interested in upgrading your sleep, I invite you to try Beam Dream. Today, my listeners get a special discount on Beam's Dream Powder their best-selling healthy hot cocoa for sleep with no added sugar. Now available in delicious seasonal flavors like cinnamon cacao, sea salt caramel, and white chocolate peppermint. Better sleep has never tasted better. A recent clinical study revealed that 93% of users wake up feeling more refreshed and 93% reported that Dream helped them get a more restful night's sleep. If you're looking for a way to get some rest and you have trouble sleeping, I highly recommend this product. If you want to try Beam's best-selling dream powder, take advantage of their biggest sale of the year and get up to 50% off for a limited time. When you go to shopbeam.com contacts, discount auto applied at checkout, no code is necessary. That's shopbeam.com contacts for up to 50% off. If you're a longtime listener, you might know that I've been drinking AG1 for a couple of years. If you're not a longtime listener, then know that I drink AG1 on a daily basis. When I first started drinking it daily, I could feel a real difference in my daily health. I had more energy, I felt more relaxed, I could focus better. That's because AG1 is a foundational nutritional supplement that supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. 
Since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously refining their formula to create a smarter and better way to elevate your baseline health. I recommend AG1 to all of my family and friends because it has worked so well for me. So much so that my two eldest children have become regular users of the product. My daughter who has been studying abroad recently asked us to bring her more product when we went to visit her at Thanksgiving. My other daughter who's a freshman in college regularly contacts us to make sure we send her more product. AG1 has been transformational as it has replaced all of the needless ramekins of vitamins and minerals that I used to take. If you really want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com contacts. That's drinkag1.com contacts to order your own supply and start on your journey to better health. Welcome to the Contacts Coaching Podcast, dedicated to bringing you practical ideas from coaches, sharing what they have learned throughout their career. The show is designed to serve as a digital database of mentorship from a wide network of coaches whose innovative, reflective, and diverse knowledge may offer ideas to enhance your experience. In addition to sport-specific expertise, each episode also dives into the ways in which culture, strategy, and tactics can cross from one discipline to another. I'm your host, Justin Klein. Welcome back to the Contacts Coaching Podcast. We are joined today by Ed Buford, Director of Athletics, Arsenal Tech High School in Indianapolis, Indiana. Coach, thanks for being here today. Justin, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. It's pretty cold outside in Indy, so I'm enjoying this four-degree weather, snowing on the ground. But all in all, I don't have any complaints. Thanks for being here. It's funny that we talked about that a little bit before, and I'm sitting here in like a down vest, and it's 49, <laughs> and you're at four degrees, and you're just in a regular jacket. So we know who's <laughs> tough and who's soft, but we don't need to get into that. Let's go into your uh, career here. Take us through the journey. How did you get started uh, coaching? How did you move into administration? What was the impetus going way, way back to little Ed? What was the path like? Talk, talk us through the journey and the bumps and bruises along the way. That's a great question. I'm born and raised in Helena, West Helena, Arkansas. Uh, it's on the banks of the Mississippi River, about an hour of Memphis, Tennessee. And I'm the youngest of four. I have three older siblings. And by the way, I'm the only boy. My parents instilled in us early that education was one of the things that was highly important in our household. My parents were both educators. They both taught public schools. My mom taught 20 either 27 or 28 years. My dad taught 34 years and they have both retired. So at a young age, I understood what the value of education would be. And I knew I didn't want to be a teacher. And that was one of the things that they said that they would regret. They always wanted to be on the admin side, but they found their passion teaching. Uh, my mom was a math teacher. and My dad taught building trades, both in Arkansas and in Mississippi. Just from there, Ended up playing sports all the way through high school and was fortunate enough to play 
college basketball at the University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff, where the majority of my family, including myself, we all graduated from there. If I do the math, Justin, I believe it's over 55 or 58 people on both sides of my mom and dad's family who completed their degrees at the University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff. Was able to get a lot of experiences early, attending basketball games, attending football games. And one of the probably special moments for me was every coach that I had in high school back home in Arkansas, they all were graduates of the University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff. So it was almost a destiny for me to go and attend a school and see what that environment was about. And from there, like I said, I had the pleasure of playing men's college basketball at the Division I level. That really gave me an insight on what I wanted to do. I knew going in, I knew I was going to major in something dealing with athletics. Uh, my undergrad is in parks and community recreations with an emphasis on facilities management. And then after I graduated, I moved to Indianapolis and I started my career, started working as a teen counselor at IUPUI for one of their summer programs. And then from there, I took a girls JV head basketball job at Whiteland High School. From there, Cal Ship gave me the autonomy to, to learn. So when I came in, I was fairly young. He gave me varsity assistant first and then gave me the head JV job. And he let me run with it. I was able to, to learn from him, learn how to do scouting reports and learn how to do film breakdown. But he let me build my own career from some of his experiences. And then from there, went back and got my master's in athletic administration at Ball State University. And I was able to see what the athletic director side was. I ended up taking a job at one of the local schools here in Indianapolis as the interim AD. And then I took an assistant AD job from there. I was only there for about a year or so. And then I took an interim, I'm sorry, the interim was first. And then I took a volunteer assistant AD role for two years. I made zero dollars, zero dollars. But that was my, that was part of my plan. So I was at the school, I was coaching boys basketball at the time. I had left on the girl side and I wanted to experience what the difference was between girls basketball and boys basketball. I was able, I was fortunate enough to coach an Indiana All-Star on the girls side. And then I was really fortunate enough to coach an All-State player on the boys side. So then that kind of sparked my interest a little bit more to stay on the athletic at men's side and not go back to the coaching ranks. I don't want it to coach long time. I always wanted to be you know, AD or assistant AD or work in the athletic office. So having those experiences gave me an opportunity to really further my career there. Then from there, I took a job at George Washington where countless legends were student athletes there. Most recently, George McGinnis, one of the greats, one of the all-time greats in the NBA and in the ABA. He recently passed, but he was a state champion on the 1969 team there at George Washington. The job came available. A.D. Scott Hicks, who is also a legend here in the state of Indiana, he thought enough of me to give me an opportunity. And from there, I was able to run with it. I was able to make sure that the student-athletes were academically eligible, to make sure that the student-athletes had college insight. So he gave me every single thing 
and was like, hey, coach, we really enjoy what you bring to the table. Now let's see what you can do. So then the Arsenal Tech job came available. I was at George Washington for a year. Uh, then the Arsenal Tech job came available and uh, threw my name in it, spoke with my circle, with my inner circle, and then I spoke with my professional circle. And they all thought it was the best idea for me to at least throw my name in the hat at Arsenal Tech. And it brings us here today. Tech is the 28th largest school in the state of Indiana. Uh, we operate over 20 sports, both on the boys and girls side. It's a really cool place to be, a really cool place. We're putting some things in place to make sure that tech is not a forgotten thought. You're in the perfect situation if I remember our conversation, Orlando. This is middle of year two or where are you Going at? into, so I'm getting ready to complete year one. April 10th, 2024 so will be year one. So you started before the school year even ended, which is yeah. perfect. Yeah. So you just gave us the resume. You have a background in athletics. Your parents were educators. You played college athletics. You coached both genders of basketball. You were an assistant AD. You did the hard work of what we all did at that point, cutting our teeth, which was working for free or no money. I joked that my first coaching job was I was paid $6,000 for the year as a full-time <laughs> assistant in the NCAA Division II. Uh, so we, we know what that's. But what did you realize on April 10th? Is that what you just said? Yep, April 10th, 2023. What did you realize on that date? Even though you felt prepared and your professional and personal circle said, hey, this is it, we're ready. But you got in there and you were like, hair blown back. I ain't ready for this. I am, but I need to figure this out real quick. Yeah, yeah, Justin, one of the things that was probably on my side that I failed to mention, I was also in the, I worked at Arsenal Tech prior to being the AD. So I was in the Future Center, which is the college and career department. And I worked alongside of athletics. While I was doing that, I was also AD at another high school in Indianapolis. So coming in, yeah, I was the new guy, but I was the old face. So I had already knew some people on campus. I knew several people in the athletic department. So I just came in and I wanted things to continue as they were so I can get an understanding of what we need to do better or what we need to do moving forward. So I don't think I was caught off guard, but I will tell you this, going from maybe like the counseling side, the college and career side, to athletics, although I was always in athletics, I stayed in athletics while I was still on the counseling side, the magnitude of the work was probably the, the biggest thing, right? Again, operating all of those sports, making sure that we have officials per game and making sure that the, the, the fan base, which are our students, making sure that our staff was in tune and aware of certain things, that would probably be the biggest thing that, uh, we have to endure. Okay, so now we are coming up. You're 10 months in. What else has come across your plate that you were like, all right, I can handle this, but I got to do some digging. Did not expect this to land on my plate. <laughs> Wasn't thinking about this, and I had to figure this one out. And the reason I asked, Ed, is this whole thing was started as a digital database of mentorship. So it's, okay, what are the things that in year one on the job that you, you got to knock the training wheels off quicker than you want to, per se, and they've created these learning opportunities that you can share with others. 
I mentioned our school is well uh, over 100 plus years, right? With that, we have to have some facility upgrades. In my previous stops, I never had the opportunity to sit in those meetings to for facility enhancement, right? The AD always did that. And when I was the AD at other schools, we had fairly new athletic facilities. Very first thing, when I get the job, they rip out the track. Maybe, I don't know, a month or so after. Like I say, I knew I was going to inherit that because George Washington is also a part of the district. So having those same conversations while at George Washington, so we all knew that. But being the face, that was totally different. But the first thing that I did, called up my principal, and I called up my district ID. So my principal is a former high-level boys basketball coach here in the state, right? He coached at Lawrence North. He coached at Lawrence Central. He coached at Park Tudor. Park, he coached at Fishers. So he had a wealth of knowledge, and he has been in those meetings to where those infrastructure meetings where we're getting new facility enhancements. So he gave me a list of things to look for. Then I jumped on the phone with our district AD and he was giving me the same thing. So all three of us were on the same page when it came down to, hey, here's how we're going to do things. As far as the new facility improvements, here are some things that we will do. Here's some things that we're trying to do. So, yeah, just having those two guys who are very athletically sound was probably a sounding board for me. I think the important thing there is that you reached out to – resources to help you figure out what you didn't know. And often as we get into this and we're young, excuse me, inexperienced, there's a a vulnerability that's lacking to ask for help. And I think what you just added is one of the most important things. It's, I've never built a track before. <laughs> Let me call somebody that has. Are there some other situations you've encountered over the years where you've had to deploy that same approach that has been useful for you? Yeah, yeah. Academic eligibility is always something that comes apart, right? So, again, with my principal, he's been a principal. He's been an assistant principal. He was a high-level coach, right? He got 30-plus years of experience at the interscholastic level. So I just pick up the phone and I call him instantly. Or I'll go over to the arsenal where his office is, And we'll just have a conversation. So his door is always open, right? He may or may not be available, but his door is always open. And if he is unavailable, he makes sure to call you back within maybe an hour or so. But he's a person that if I don't know something or if I'm unsure of something, the experiences that he has, even if he doesn't know the answer to it, the experiences that he has, I'm very confident and comfortable with him sharing those for an answer for me, for us to come to a collective. Yeah, let's go into that for a minute. In talking with some of my guests, when I asked, you know, what are the things that are important when you're looking at jobs? One of the things that comes up is mission and vision alignment with your administration. And sometimes it doesn't come up, which is a little bit surprising because at the end of the day, there are good jobs and bad jobs. And it doesn't mean that you can have state championship level success, but it means that there's alignment between all the parties involved. Can you talk a little bit about that as you went from place to place? 
what you saw, what you experienced that led you to believe where you are is a good fit. And obviously what you're talking about with your principal's background, that's helpful. But what are some of the other things that led you to believe, hey, you know what, for me at this age and stage of my career, this is the perfect spot. Tech was set up. It was ready to go from an athletic staff. You had a secretary, you had an assistant AD that was set and ready to go. I also had, I have two full-time assistant ADs. I have a full-time secretary, right? I also have two full-time athletic coordinators. And then last year was the first year that we implemented an athletic advisor to where her full-time job is still a counselor, but she wanted to be a part of the athletic experience. Um, and she was, she reached out to me, was, Hey, I'm willing to help you all out only in the athletic advisement committee just having that thought process and then when i looked at the job at tech we offer countless vocational departments one of the things that our district does pretty well is emphasize three e's enlistment enrollment and employment so thinking about a job and aligning myself with the vision of the school it was already ready i just needed to be in place but then when I think about the history and the nostalgia behind the school, our alumni association, I don't think we can operate a department without them, especially not my department. Uh, so for an example, we have a, one of our former basketball players is going into the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame. I reached out to our alumni association instantly to inform them, but to also say, hey, what do we want to do with this? I know what we're going to do from our end, but from your end, from her academic, her, from her curriculum end, you all still have a really big hand in that. So how do we want to approach this? And our alumni looked at it within 24 hours. It was like, hey, we will take lead on this. This is something that we are fortunate enough to do. Just having those entities in, in place really made the job, especially in year one, a lot easier than what most people will encounter in, in year one. Yeah, no doubt. Curious when you said you also have athletic coordinators, right? So assistant athletic director, fine. What's an athletic coordinator? An athletic coordinator is a person who can step in and operate games they can step in and operate the concession stand or the tickets they are a, a multi-purpose person they can also announce right in the event that our main people don't show up our athletic coordinators are already on site right if we need them to do anything crowd control or anything that we need right run grades they're able to step right in and and take care of some of that for us so I'm going to go a little bit into the minutiae here because I'm curious because every site is different, right? Obviously, in the resources that they deploy in each department and every state's different, every school district is different. So if I heard you correctly, you got two full-time AD assistants. That's what they do. Plus a secretary. Are the athletic coordinators, that's their full-time gig too, or they're doing other things and they help out there? How does that all shake out in the resources of the school? No, that's a great question. So, yeah, the, the ACs do other things within the building. Uh, so their full-time job may be, I don't know, may be the librarian, or it may be something, it may be a teacher. 
their positions with the athletic coordinators, just a stipend position, just for those seasons. And we I, have the autonomy to make it where they can do it all three seasons. Got it. So for those that are listening, when you are struggling to find help that is needed, desperately needed at times, right? Tap into your faculty and figure out a way to add a stipend to your budget that you can give them a gratuity for helping out in that way. Love that as a strategy. And you probably didn't even think about that because it was already in place. But for those of us that are listening, there are ways to tap into community that you already have on campus that know the kids that obviously then would help with crowd control, all the things that we worry about at this level. Justin, I will add to that. Uh, Sorry, didn't mean to cut you off. I will add to, if they are on the campus already, they already have a relationship with with the students they already have a relationship with the majority of the coaches especially if coaches are on campus and i would probably say the last thing is they have some form of athletic experience whether they were a player they are a coach their daughter or their son a player they have some knowledge of what athletics looks like just having those type of people around definitely ensures the the athletic experience for all. No doubt. And I would assume during my time in the my first 10 years of my teaching career, when I taught at a public school, you have your contract hours, whatever they happen to be, and then people are going home, right? Some people want to be involved. They just need to be asked. They need permission yeah. to get involved. And so put that out to your group, see who wants to participate. Because if not, what are they doing with the rest of their afternoons? And maybe they have some hobby that they're super into, but maybe they don't and they just want to feel part of the group. Let me pivot on this and go to, in addition to involvement, what are some of the best things that you do in your program that has an impact on the culture that you're trying to create? So either specific programs when you were coaching basketball, not necessarily at Tech, but in general, hey, we do this and I try to share this with all my coaches because it has this transformational impact. Or things you've seen your coaches do in the last 10 months? What would you offer up to uh, coaches and administrators together that, hey, you know what? These are a couple of things that I've seen work really well in in building cohesiveness and core values and things that are important to maintaining your culture. I would say the biggest thing would probably be equitable practices, right? A lot of times football and basketball teams are – maybe the most known teams on campus or maybe the most known teams in the community. One of the things that I'm really big on is giving everybody the same platform. So if there's something that our football team is doing, maybe we don't do it the same way, but we at least extend that invitation to our girls swim team. Hey, there's a community service event. We don't have to necessarily have everybody to participate in it, But football over the years or boys basketball over the years have been our main participants. What we like to do is offer this invitation to everybody. Once we get signups, then we'll make a decision on who participates. But I'm huge on being consistent and using some of those equitable practices to ensure that all of our student athletes feel welcome. Yeah, I think that's often overlooked. And as you mentioned, you have football and basketball for the most parts are the, let's call it feature sports, right? They generally draw the most attendance. They usually, and be it 
because they're the favorite sports or it is just convenient that they play at seven o'clock at night and people don't have conflicts, whatever the case is, um, you know, making sure that, hey, this team doesn't get this and this team doesn't get this just because of that. Right. How do you create that equity and accessibility for the other sports and for the other athletes? I think that's huge because, one, it shows commitment to program. Right. And two, it allows teams to lean into whatever additional things that they want to do that maybe they didn't feel were possible, right, based on the history and tradition. So how do you implement that? Right. How do you go and encourage maybe some longtime programs that have done it a particular way to embrace all that the school has to offer and all that you can do as a support person? I'll give you an example that we recently went through Had a community outreach to reach out and they wanted to partner with our football team to do a fundraiser. As I was speaking with both coaches, head football coach and one of our other head coaches on campus, the other coach stated like, Hey, what do I need to do in order to be a part of that? Justin, my job was really simple. All I did was call up the person who reached out to football and I asked, Hey, is there any way that, maybe you can sit down with several other coaches who are inquiring about this and they didn't have any problem doing so. I think just having those one-on-one conversations and letting people know the type of program that you're trying to build and let them know what the overall outcome that you're hoping and wanting for. I think most people will support, especially on the equitable side. I think most people will support those endeavors, but, Yeah, just giving people the same platform, though. And if I have to be the person leading the platform, I don't have an issue with that, right? But what I do want is I want everybody to feel like their team matters. Hey, man, Mr. Buford really looks out for our team, not just a specific team. Yeah, and that's so important. And I circle back to this all the time in my own space where I'm coaching a team. I coached the boys' basketball team for the last eight years and was going to be out and just being an administrator this year. But I find myself now coaching the girls. And part of the thing for me is the idea of optics. And even if you do everything right, it's still, he's the basketball coach. So they get to do X, Y, and Z. And it's no, like all of us can do this. I just happen to have my hands in it and I'm a little bit more organized, but this is available to anybody, right? So how do you ensure and how do you educate and how do you help people realize that look yeah you've done it this way all the time but here's what the ask is from the kids and how do we how do I partner with you to make this kid centric you know what I like to do I like to speak to students first way before I make any suggestions to coaches I like to speak to students to see what their input is hey do you all want maybe new uniforms or new shoes or What is it that you all are maybe missing or what are some of the things that you all need in order to make your athletic experience comfortable? So once I have a list, then I go back to the coaches and then I start to talk to them like, hey, have you talked to your players or have you talked to X and X player about maybe having some of these? And depending on what the coaches say, right? So yeah, coach. Uh, we, we've talked, we had that conversation, then we'll know how to maneuver. But if they haven't, then that's when we come in and we sit down as a collective and we, we try to hash some of those things out. Maybe you can't get everything, but 
when, when I speak to the coaches, I want to make sure that they know that, hey, like our kids see disparities, right? They see what other kids are getting. If we can shine that light on them, we don't have to give them everything that they're asking because some of those are probably impossible to provide. But if we can give them a minimum of certain things, then we can take that back to whatever sponsor, whoever that may be, and we can have those conversations. But we can also have those conversations when those sponsors come in, talk directly to those student athletes. I'm I'm huge on the student experience, right? As adults, we can figure out whatever it is that we need to do. But if we're going to be guiding students, I think the students have to have a hand in it. Actually, they have to have two hands in it. We need to be the people who are in the background, possibly doing all the work, but they need to be the front runners. Yeah, no doubt. The whole thing is about students. The whole thing is yeah. about, depending on the age of your school, maybe it's four-year-olds to 18-year-olds, maybe it's 14 to 18-year-olds, but it's, look, how do we not let adult problems get in the way of kids and how do we serve them? And I love the fact that you're asking them, hey, what would make your experience better? That's a great question. It's open-ended. It's not targeted at anything. It's just, hey, how can I support you? And I think ultimately, as coaches, I'm guilty of this. We don't ask that of our kids enough. I love that you're putting that out there. Grab onto that. Throw that question out. I came back from Orlando, and we had sat in a breakout session, and one of the, the questions that was posed is, go back and ask your staff, what's my greatest weakness as an athletic director? And then tell your coaches to do the same thing and ask their players. And I came back and did that, and it was super informative, and, and I've tried to use that as I move forward to, to guide me. But there's a vulnerability piece there that you got to be willing to take the smoke, right? I think those are great lessons that you offered there. Let me ask this, and it's totally off what our normal talk track would be, but growing up in the South, and then basically your whole life around Arkansas Pine Bluff, and now you're in Indianapolis, H how has your background as a Southerner, informed how you interact in, let's call it the Midwest or whatever they call Indiana. What what has that shift been like? And I know you told me privately it's it's very similar, but I'm curious for the listeners, like, how do you tap into those values? What's been a challenge? What hasn't? Because it is a different geographic location, and it definitely probably has a different culture. Being born and raised in the South, it teaches you different values, right? So in the South, you can walk up to a random person and speak and have a conversation. Hey, how you doing? I just try to use who I am and what experiences I have in the South. I bought those here. My sisters are also huge in my professional and personal career. They live here in Indianapolis, right? So I'm able to bounce. If I have an idea that I get from one of my mentors in the South, I'll share it with my sisters first to see if it aligns because they've been here way longer than I have, but to see if it aligns with some of the things that people value here in Indianapolis, right? Like down South, you're able to make a, a decision very quickly. Here in the Midwest, you may need some additional assistance with that, right? I go directly to my sisters when I have an issue or even if I have a thought to say, hey, I'm thinking about possibly doing this. What do you think? Because they also have the same role, right? They, they 
born and raised in Arkansas, the graduates of Arkansas Pine Bluff, but we're far different in age. So they're able to see certain things that I just can't see. And once they provide those answers to me, I take that application and I just pause for maybe a day or so before I do anything with it, right? But having those small moments of success, and I think that leads into the next phase, which is the communication department. Athletics is a big department. So you got to be able to communicate certain things out to the parties who may need it, right? Using that to inform decisions on things that we're trying to do or maybe even just some thought processes. If we're sitting around a round table, I think that gives people more insight into the actual application than looking on the outside. Just one of the things that I do, I'm not really big on meetings, but you can tell me anything that you want individually, right? And I let our staff know, hey, if there's something that's on your mind, come tell me individually. Just from my own experience as a teacher, as a counselor, as a coach, as an administrator, the majority of the work happens when it's in a one-on-one format, right? Now you feel like you can actually help a person. Not saying that I can't in a group setting, but certain things can get misconstrued in group settings to where you know, people maybe even don't understand what the answer was or there's something that's missing, but I like the personal connections with people. And I think that's what I used to do in the South, right? So I used to love to go up and talk in a one-on-one base, but if we need to sit down in a meeting structure format, we can do that. But I found that most people feel like they are uh, valued when they are able to speak individually. Yeah. And I would say that's the same with the student athletes, right? It's like, how are you making connections with all of your kids outside of the allotted practice slash competition time and right it's easy with some of them that come by the office or that you have in your class or you have other points of contact but how are you figuring out how to connect with those that you don't see all the time and I think that is always going to be the challenge it's something that I I, like everyone else needs to work on But what strategies do you have for that? If you're not big on meetings, but you're big on individual conversations, how are you finding the time to have all of those conversations to make sure that you are managing all of the relationships? I mentioned our building or our campus has multiple buildings, 16 buildings on campus, right? So I try to make an effort to go in the building, in every building, at least five or six times a week, right? So while I'm in the building, Feel free to, to walk up. If there's something that's on your mind, feel free to say anything. I'm also in the cafeteria every single day. So I do bus duty. I'm sorry, I do lunch duty. I do bus duty, right? So just being present and being in the pockets that the student athletes and even the adults, right? So our coaches, some of our teachers and administrators, I'm not a person that's going to sit behind a desk. I like to be out. I like to enjoy conversation and I believe the only way I can invite people to the gym but most people don't want to come to the gym because it's so far away I just eliminate that and I go wherever the conversation is needed so if I need to go into the principal's office of every building I'm totally fine with that I spend the majority of my time in other buildings I don't spend a lot of time in my office 
That's such a good reminder. And when I was getting my administrative degree, the principal that I shadowed, one of her deals was she didn't go into office until 1030. She'd get on campus and basically walk around and go to all the classes and check in. And then, because once you get in the office, you can't get out. And it's something that I learned 15 years ago. And truth be told, it's been forgotten at this point where I don't go to the cafeteria. Like I work through lunch, right? I don't, my old office as the activities director was in the student center. It's not there anymore. And so it's like, how can I remind myself based on this conversation? You know what? Go sit down in Rosen and work down there. Go do some of these things that you're talking about so that you are more present for the kids that don't go out of their way to see you. So I thank you for that. It's super good, important and a great reminder. How has your approach changed over the years, both as a coach and as an administrator? And I know you're only 10 months in as the top dog, but you've been in the game long enough to know that, look, I came in hot and now this is where I'm at, or I didn't come in hot and now I've gotten to this point, but how have you seen yourself shift during your years in education and coaching? Just one of the things that I did not mention, I'm also a licensed official in the state of Indiana, right? So being an official, being a coach, being a teacher, being an administrator, I try to put all those into one pocket. If there's something that has changed, so take, let's just take basketball rules. The rules of basketball change every year, right? There's a rules committee. They sit down and they think about certain things, right? That comes from coaches, that comes from ADs. Hey, this didn't work, or maybe this worked. As an official, we have to take that with all ownership, nothing personal. We have to just take that and we have to look at the application that we're given to try to make a better outcome, right? Man, I, I rely heavily on mentorship. Whether that's, I mentioned earlier, the relationship that I have with my principal at, as far as an administrator, right? I also mentioned my district AD, but there are other people who support things that I'm trying to do. Again, whether that's personal, I have a personal board that I rely on, and then I have a professional board. Justin, I meet with those people often. And it's, again, it's not a, a meeting. It's not a big meeting where everybody is invited, but it's just some of those conversations to where, hey, I'm not real sure that I'm doing this correctly from an administrator role. I know how to do this from my personal role, but how do I put those two together? And like I say, I rely heavily on, on mentorship. I use the NFHS for certain things uh, that I don't know. I use countless groups that I'm like our Indiana High School Athletic Association ADs. We use that. We have a thing called the City Alliance here in Indianapolis where it's 14 City Alliance ADs. And it's another 14 county ADs, right? So we, we have those monthly meetings every day. And some of the things that I may or may not be struggling with, some of the other ADs are able to step in and either help facilitate some of those conversations. We go. Yeah. No, I just try to lean on people with various experiences, man, to to come up with a philosophy of my own. No doubt. I think that's super important what you said. You have a personal and a professional board of directors. And that's something that I've actually talked to people about. What does that look like for you? And how are you shaping that board? And one of the things I, I learned at some point, I don't remember when it was, but it's, look, if everyone on your personal board of directors 
has the same opinion, then you don't need all of them. (laughs) You need a a diversity of opinion. That's the point, right? And you're asking like, okay, if I got five people I talk to you about this situation in my life or this situation at work and they all have the same opinion, like I only need to talk to one of them. If they have different opinions, then you can find your truth within, right? It's okay. I got all these different opinions and let me figure out what the path is that's authentic for me. So I think, again, that's a great offering that hopefully people can tap into. It's a good reminder for me as well. Uh, Justin, I will also add to that. Only for me, my experience, right? I don't need a lot of people. I don't need a lot of board of directors, right? So I may have five professional board of directors. I may have four professional or, or, or four personal board of directors. But I don't need to be in a lot of conversation because I think the more conversation that you hear, you won't be able to make the decision that you want because then you'll be trying to please everybody. But I try to keep everything to a minimum for myself. No doubt. No, I think that's sage advice as well. All right, here's always an interesting one. Uh, What have you most recently changed your mind on? Meaning, I used to believe this, And I was dug in. Now I'm over here and here's why. And it doesn't have to be about athletics or coaching. It can be. But it's more of that growth mindset question of like, how are we constantly evolving? Justin, I think just from how I look at certain things, just because I'm a coach doesn't mean that I can administer the game as an official. Just because I can officiate the game doesn't doesn't mean that I can administer the game as a AD. So I think every single day we got to learn. Even if we just learn a small portion of what we're doing every single day. But we got to take an account of what we're actually trying to do and put that into our, our daily process. Nick Saban said it best. In order to be successful, you have to be successful. <laughs> right? That just... That resonated with me. A lot of people think you have to do certain things or a lot of things in order to be successful. Nope. According to maybe the best college football coach of all time, right? You just got to do the things that you need to do in order to be successful. Nobody knows what that is but you. Yeah, no doubt. And I think that the way in which we can constantly remind ourselves to keep the main thing the main thing narrows the playing field or whatever cliche we want to use, right? And and, and the more that we grasp at straws and try to add ingredients, sometimes it overwhelms the palate, so to speak, right? So simplicity wins and how do you keep that the focus is basically what I hear you saying without all the additional distractions of, oh, let me try this. This might be great, but that doesn't always add value. Again, born and raised in the South, and the old acronym of KISS, keep it simple, stupid, right? I think that just gets me, that gets me over the hump. Don't have to be very complex in order to get the same outcome that we're looking for, but as long as we are doing the work the proper way, then outcome will happen. No doubt. All right, last question, and it, I don't even know the answer, but I'm curious what the answer is going to be, and then I'm going to have a follow-up. <laughs> Do y'all have a shot clock in Indiana yet? No shot clock. Oh, my God. Surrounding right. states have shot clock. Uh, Illinois has it. I do believe Michigan and maybe Ohio has it. 
hasn't it hasn't came to the Hoosier land yet. Okay, so the reason I'm asking this, one, as a basketball person, two, as a guy that's a basketball coach and a basketball official, what is the rationale for not having a shot clock in 2023-24? Oh, man. I just – I don't think it's, it's warranted yet in Indiana. I think we'll have to see multiple states implement that. But I, I do believe it's coming. I just don't know when. And like I say, I think like it, Illinois, Michigan, and maybe even Ohio, I think they have the shot clock. But, Justin, we are basketball country. So everything runs through Hoosier land, and, and some of that tradition is, is still there. We'll see. I'll, I'm going to say on a personal note, I'll give it, Five years. I'll give it five years, and then we'll be there. Hold on. Those of you that are listening, if you don't care about shot clocks, you can tap out at this point, but we're going to go in on this. Here's what I heard you said, Coach. We need to see a few more schools have shot clocks, a few more states. 27 of the 50 states have shot clocks. Hey, what is the argument? We are who's your land. So, so we- hold on. What is the <laughs> argument? That those people that are against shot clocks are making that say, you know what was really good for basketball is the video I saw the other day where it was 20 to 20 with five minutes to go in the fourth quarter and a kid was kneeling down in the front court dribbling the ball for four minutes. If I was an official for that game, he was kneeling. How many seconds were left? It was four minutes on the clock. Oh, yeah, that's a bit rough. <laughs> I don't have an answer for that one then. I don't have an answer for that one. But man, I think it'll be a really good idea to have the shot clock here. I'm waiting for it. Can't wait. But I just don't think it's gonna happen in the near future. I, I get it. I know Indiana, y'all are purists and you want to hold on to you probably want the old key too, the one that was in Hoosiers, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we got it somewhere. I'm pretty sure we got it. <laughs> All right, Coach, this has been fun. Anything else to add before we go? And Justin, it was a pleasure to be here. It was a pleasure, and I'm glad that you thought highly enough of me to give me an opportunity to come on your platform, so I definitely appreciate you there. But just want to tell all the young, aspiring athletes, what is not what you will be? The NBA is probably not the option. Not saying that it's not an option, but also – don't put one, don't put all of your beans into one basket, right? Be open. Have a wealth of knowledge, have a wealth of understanding, and go out and be whatever it is that you want to be. Yeah, no doubt. And I would say we're not ready to, to, to sign off because I do want to point something else out. When I asked you what it was different about being from the South and being from the Midwest, and you said, you know what? Where I grew up, you could just talk to everybody. And we met, ironically enough, for those of you that are listening and are aware, we met at a nomad social event (laughs) that, and I'm going to let you answer what it is, but it's basically, it's it's an organization supporting minorities in athletic administration, et cetera. And I roll in as the probably the one non-person of color in this group. <laughs> and the first person to say what's up to me is Ed. And I'm sitting around, yeah, I fit in, it's all good. But from an optic <laughs> standpoint, I don't. 
Talk a little bit about the importance of affinity spaces and also continuing to be welcome in those affinity spaces based on what you're trying to do with them. Now, Justin, now you're absolutely right. So we, we met at an impromptu location, right? And what I saw was just a person coming in. Don't know if he was looking for direction or not, but came in. He appeared to be logical, right? He appeared to, to want to be a part. So I just took it up on myself and to start the conversation. Right. To, you may or may not have felt belonging there, but just my personality. And this is what I learned when as a youngster in, in Arkansas, there's value in everybody. There's value in everybody. Maybe I can learn from you. Maybe I can't. But we never would have known if I didn't start the conversation. Hey, Justin, how you doing, man? So now, man, just having that again, just giving people the ability to be themselves. You were, we were both in a location. We're trying to mingle with people, trying to understand, trying to see what experiences are. I just want to see who you are. <laughs> no doubt. I appreciate it. And I think it's a great reminder that when you are the, the person in a setting that is comfortable, to reach out to other people that may be new there. And uh, yeah. welcome them in with open arms, regardless of what the situation is. And appreciate you for doing that in that moment. I appreciate it, Justin. I appreciate you having me, man. Good luck to you the rest of the season. And uh, hopefully you all get some of this cold weather that we have. Yeah, that ain't going to happen, but uh, that's why I live where I live. <laughs> all right, dude. This episode is brought to you by Element, spelled L-M-N-T. What is Element? It's a delicious sugar-free electrolyte drink mix. As a coach, we are constantly trying to find the best products for our athletes to train and compete at their highest level. Element is a great alternative to other commercial recovery and performance drinks and has enough sodium, potassium, and magnesium to get you feeling and performing your best. Plus, it has zero sugar, no artificial ingredients, and is gluten-free. With eight delicious flavors, you are guaranteed to find one your taste buds will love. I know our athletes love the citrus salt. We keep a variety box in the office and our athletes stop by every day on their way to practice and games to load up. At this point, they won't even touch another electrolyte product. Without amazing products and sponsors like Element, our podcast would not be possible. Right now, when you click on our affiliate link and place your first Element order, Element will give us 100% commission. Last thing, Element might have the best return policy on the planet. If you don't love it, you'll be instantly refunded.